I wouldn't wish adolescent cancer or heart surgery on anyone, but it is also who I am. Like It's me. I wouldn't necessarily take it away because I'm incredibly lucky, um, happily married, small business owner. Like I have a great, great life. So I wouldn't, you know, to get into a whole philosophical sliding doors type thing, like you take that away, you take away that adolescent cancer. Maybe I, maybe things go completely different and I just turn into a, a really horrible person. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead, and we are back for another episode on season seven. And we are so excited today to have a wonderful guest for you all who I'm just really overjoyed to have them sitting in front of me to share their story. This is someone that I've gotten the pleasure of knowing over the last couple years now in a greater capacity. So excited for y'all for that. In the meantime, as always, if you all are new to this podcast, please follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram. And we are also really looking for people to subscribe. So please hit the rate, review, subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google, on any other format that you listen to your podcasts on. And we are looking for anyone out there who has maybe a small business or anything that you would like for us to advertise. You know, we're always open to that. So please reach out to me if there's anything you'd like for us to be sharing on these episodes. Um, And if you're new here again, we'd like to let you know that I've Been Better is a story sharing podcast where we share the real stories of real people in real time. And today we've got a really awesome episode. So I'm excited. On today's episode, I would like to welcome James Voltz. Welcome, James. Good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. How are y'all doing? We're good. We're good. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, if y'all are in North Carolina, it's actually fall outside. Finally, on the day that we're recording this episode, it's been like 70 degrees every weekend, and now it's finally fall, so we're really excited about that. So let me share a little bit about James with y'all, if you are not familiar. So James is a husband, and a. if you're local here to Raleigh, he is the Raleigh Wine Shop proprietor, which is our favorite wine shop, and we spend way too much time there. He's also the president of Safe Child's Board of Directors, and he has a PhD from Duke in Cellular and Molecular Biology. He um, is also married to his wife, Beth, who has also been heavily involved in Safe Child over the last 20 years. His passions are exercise, horology, music, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, reading, and a really fun fact that I just learned today <laughs> is that James traveled across the country and all over the country playing competitive air hockey. Indeed, indeed. Whether it was uh, whether it's, whether it's watches or wine, um, or jujitsu, or air hockey, I'm just just a big nerd. I like <laughs> I like doing weird, fun, quirky things. Um, buddy of mine growing up was a really top notch athlete. He'd done some racquetball, and we watched a a, a local video um, about a guy playing air hockey. And he looked over at me, and he's like, "We can do that," and we started so you did it. playing and I was decent, but he was a world <laughs> champion. So that's amazing. Um, he was a multiple time world champion and I got to, I got to watch him. Okay. What are the crowds like at an air hockey competition? What not is this nearly vibe? as impressive as you might think they okay. are. And I'm assuming okay. you already don't think they're very impressive. No. So mm-hmm. my um, experience is like boxcar air hockey. So I don't want to pretend like I know what that would be like. Right. So, yeah, I know the guys that started the air hockey tournaments at Boxcar yeah. several years ago. Um, and one of my coworkers who knew I had played for a while back in the day said, Hey, you know, they're, they're, they're having a tournament tonight at Boxcar. And my eyes kind of lit up and I went home and dug out all my stuff <laughs> and showed up. And there's like, Who are you and what are you doing? Because this You're like, is like, I am ready. This is my calling. Where have you been? Like, I was like, I'm nobody, but I do know a little bit about this. I can like kind of play. <laughs> yeah, like I got my stuff. It's yeah. like, you know, for again, the, I know we're speaking highly about maybe some local stuff today, but for anyone who is local in the Triangle or just North Carolina area, there's also a Fortnite competition today. Right. Which is so funny to me that it's a like, in, it's like an international or national Fortnite competition to win money Yeah, in Raleigh right now. Yeah, I was fascinating to me. I was just a little, I was born just a little too early. Like I wanted, (laughs) I wanted there to be competitive video games uh, when we were growing up at one point, the same friend of mine who uh, was a competitive air hockey player. At one point, he and I were convinced we were a hundred percent certain in a pre-internet era where you weren't playing people from all over the world. We were 
100% convinced we were the best two players in the world <laughs> at this one particular video game. Um, I'm sure it was it was markedly more than it was, it was youthful arrogance, much more sure. than, than reality. But For sure. Before you could connect to people from all over the world, um, you, you were just the got best. two yeah. kids in the middle of nowhere, South Georgia, who did nothing else to do other than play hockey and video games. I and love that. we were just like, oh, we're definitely the best. We are the, the best because <laughs> there's no way else other right. than millions of people anyone exactly. else is playing this. I love that so much. Okay, James, tell us a little bit more before we dive into how we know each other. Tell us a little bit more about yourself from this. And then do share, I don't think I even know the story, but how you came to be involved with the Raleigh Wine Shop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I moved to the Triangle almost 25 years ago. Um, you mentioned I have a, a, an advanced degree. I mm -hmm. was a Gen X major at the University of Georgia. I came to uh, the Triangle in 1998 wow. and started my PhD training over in Durham. Um, that Christmas, the Christmas of 98, uh, January of 99, I met my now wife, uh, Beth. We love Beth. We started dating... Um, I was in school for entirely too long. Um, <laughs> yeah, PhD my, in molecular and cellular biology sounds quick. wild. No, um, it's not quick. Uh, so we were, we did that for five years. She was a baby lawyer. I was a graduate student. Um, I did a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. Nice. Uh, they have a branch in RTP. Yeah. Um, after Beth started her own law firm, we took a trip to Napa Valley. I knew nothing about wine. I didn't really like wine at the yeah. time. I volunteered to be the designated driver. Um, <laughs> That's so how much we drove, didn't care about wine. That's how much I didn't at the time. Yeah. Everyone else was super excited. And I yeah. was like, sure, I'll go along for the ride, literally. Um, and I drove my wife and her business partner and his family uh, around Napa for three or four days. And I tasted the wine and I liked the wine. It was neat learning about it. But what I really geeked out about and what i really fell in love with were the people in the wine mm -hmm. business they were so passionate and they were so excited to talk about this thing that they had made yeah that they like um, grow from seed and exactly, like birth yeah start, it's, it's generational yeah work and it's generational knowledge this is a four or five thousand year old business um people have been trading wine for a very very long time and i just i got really into the the scope of the wine business uh there's a lot of science in it but it's not science mm -hmm. it is an it is an interface of art and science that mm -hmm. is really really unique and i was a good scientist i was not a great one mm -hmm. i my passion is art i love all forms of art with music visual arts but i have no talent whatsoever my brain is very <laughs> wired for math and science so uh, wine gave me the opportunity to to, to delve a little yeah. bit into it's like how do i worlds. use this skill and like make money off of it because unfortunately we need to make money off these things right exactly, exactly but also enjoy what i do yeah i'm not super creative either so yeah. i struggle with so that so we came back from that trip and i was like beth 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 i i think i kind of want to do what those guys are <laughs> doing like, ooh, 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 wine i want to do that and and she's a much better lawyer than I was, research scientist. Um, and they pay lawyers more than they do research <laughs> scientists. Yeah, even anyway. baby lawyers. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, it doesn't make any sense for me to move you hither and yon to try to find professorial jobs when you're way better at your job than mm -hmm. I am at mine. Let's just let's just stay here and I'll open a wine business. Um, so I was working with some people in Charlotte, and we were going to open a wine shop. Uh, the guys that founded the Raleigh Wine Shop also had that idea and they uh, beat us to the place and to the idea. And wow. my my former business partner and I walked into the brand newly opened Raleigh Wine Shop uh, and we walked out and he was like, uh, I'm done. That was the shop I wanted to open and this wow. was the place I wanted to open it. Um, and he kind of wanted to pull back from the Raleigh market at the time. And I was like, wow. but I live here. I kind of want to well, like, there isn't this. just one wine shop. Right. I mean, for those of us who live here now, there's a bunch of them. Then they're all right. different in their own way. There were not that many uh, 12 years ago. Sure. Um, so after my former business partner decided he didn't want to be in the Raleigh market, um, I walked into the Raleigh wine shop that had been open about a year, um, gave the guys my business card, and I was like, you don't know me, but I know who you are. Mm -hmm. I love your shop, love your business. Let's figure out a way to work together. Mm. Um, and that was, I, I think that was 2012. I think that was 10 years ago. That sounds about um, right. Sounds, yeah. Yeah. 
and everyone was in the right place at the right time. A couple of those guys were ready to move on. So I kind of see. Oh, that's perfect. Right in and, you were what they'd been yeah. asking for, right? They were yeah. probably like, what do we do with this if we're ready to be done? Right. And then in comes James. Yeah. So we, you know, Seth and I have run it for uh, years and now Liz is involved with us as well. So, and we've recently moved to the new location, which we are super excited about. Oh, it's about. amazing. The amount um, of people I hear that are like, that is my favorite wine shop now. Not that they didn't love it before, but again, if you're local to the area, it was just so much smaller. Right. And it didn't have the community space right. that it offers now. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like every single day of the week. We were we were lucky in that we were looking for space long before any of us had ever heard COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we have been looking for space for a long time. Yeah. And again, for those of you who aren't local, finding space in Raleigh has been a joke for a long time. There's just, oh, yeah. there's significantly more demand than there is space. So an affordable space at that. Things would come available and they would be gone like five minutes later. So wow. we had been looking for a very long time. Um, and I had almost resigned myself to just like operating out of a strip mall four towns over. <laughs> Um, it's like we're just out of space and yeah. we can't do anything here. And and you know I won't the, the this isn't a commercial real estate podcast, but eventually <laughs> uh, a place became available. We fell in love with and fast forward two years later and we move into uh, the new place on Bloodworth. So we're we're thrilled with it. Um, but that's that that's the story of me getting into wine. I, was, I love that. I just decided it was more fun than writing grants and doing um, oh yeah doing doing Heck peer yeah. review research and it's. You'll never know everything there is to know about wine. It's a constantly changing business. It's, a, again, a several thousand-year-old business. There's history. There's agriculture. There's chemistry. There's biochemistry. There's molecular biology. There's genetics. Wow. There's sales. There's there's just... Only so there's geography. Exactly. There's it's, And like so dependent on weather and the climate. I mean, it's so intertwined with this, every facet of our lives, I feel yep. like, right? Absolutely. I love that so much. Plus, people are just a lot happier to talk to you when you <laughs> tell them... At a dinner party that you sell wine for a living compared to you do molecular biology research at the National Institute of Health. They'll be like, uh-huh. like ah, okay, yeah. Their eyes like glaze like, over. Yeah, they're <laughs> exactly. like, okay, bye. I love that Very so much. much. So it's, it's, it, it's just more fun in general. And um, yeah, my only regrets were not having done it sooner. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is also ties into our story of how we met was because my first safe child mm-hmm involvement other than my internship so i think i've spoken about this to y'all on the podcast before but my graduate school um, internship or a placement that we have to have my last one before i graduated was with safe child and during that time they had just started up a program for young ambassadors which is young Mm -hmm. adults who wanted to stay involved with safe child but weren't necessarily in the position to maybe regularly volunteer or weren't in a position to be on the actual board of directors so i think it had started the year before And I got invited to come out to a Young Ambassadors kind of like social event. And it was put on at the Raleigh Wine Shop. And we made blankets. And that's the first time I got to interact with James and a couple other guests that have actually been on this podcast before, including Jen. And so that was in 2015. Or 16, a long time ago. I don't, I don't remember. Anything before 2020 is I'm just like, a thousand know. years ago. So I don't... <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. But it, I think that's so wild because it's so... Again, just I speak about this before, just how insanely small the world is, I think, in many facets. But so that's how James and I started crossing paths. And then as the years have gone on, I've become more and more involved with Safe Child. And the same goes for James, especially because of his wife, Beth. And so here we are at this position where uh, this year I'm the co-chair of the Young Ambassadors again with my co-chair, Cole. And then James is now the president of Safe Child's board of directors. It still doesn't. Still sounds weird to to hear it. Yeah. Hear it out loud. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I am. I am. And you're already like almost halfway through the year. Yeah, halfway through the the fiscal year. Yeah. Definitely, we have definitely not done half of the work. Which, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, don't remind me of that. Yeah. Piece. The 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 safe child year um runs July to July. Yeah. And there are there are some relatively quiet times. Um, relative being the operative word and then there are less very very loud times right um and this is definitely one of the less yes quiet times there's a lot going on now and there will be for the next several months so yes um james tell us uh from your perspective i've spoken about safe child before but you tell us i'm gonna okay tell us your elevator pitch pitch beats go yeah so it's stop abuse for every child and the reality is that Children are abused and they are abused in your 
community. They are in, it is not a problem with those people or a problem that happens over there or with that community. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens in your community. It happens in your church, in your YMCA, in your youth group, in your choir, in your school. Like it, it is a reality, and pretending that it doesn't exist hasn't made it go away yet so it's probably not going to mm-hmm. uh, so the the it was founded on the principle of we have to actively intervene we can't simply bury our heads in the sand and hope and wait for this scourge to simply go away yeah. it's never worked so let's actually start doing something about it yeah. uh, so it was i believe we are in our 30th mm-hmm. year um so it was it was founded by the Junior League of Raleigh uh, thirty years ago. Which I can't the, believe. I feel like we just had our twenty fifth anniversary yeah, this while. Um, with the goal of actively intervening in as many possible ways um, to try to stop the cycle of child abuse. Yeah, and it's and, a very upstream intervention, exactly. right? For and people I, that are in that world, it's not a it's not a retroactive or you know. Um, What's the other word I want? Why can't I think about that? Thank you. I was like, what am I saying? It's not a reactive program. We are an intervention, proactive-based upstream program. Right. And you use the word upstream. That was one of the, when I I was uh, nominated for president, one of the books that our executive director gave me to read is literally titled Upstream. Mm -hmm. Um, And it talks exactly about that, about addressing the problem um, and it's a, v- a very simple analogy, but if you're sitting, if you're camping for the weekend and a child floats by and is drowning and you rescue the child, you're hailed as a hero. Um, and you are because you saved the child. And then you go about your business and then two hours later, another child floats by drowning and then another child floats by drowning and another child and you save them all. Congratulations. You saved them all. But why the heck are so many children at drowning? Some point, you're going to walk upstream and figure out why. You've had to drag yeah. four kids out of a river in three hours. Yeah, you're like, what's happening at the top of the stream, right? Exactly, and it that the the the, the nerd, the scientist, the the process driven, um, that just really appealed to that side of my brain. Yeah. Like, let's try to fix this, yeah. because more more than most anything else, I am aware of. We know now. There's enough research. It's it's well established enough that childhood violence is a cycle. If you can break it now, it literally has generational return. You heal and rehabilitate the child that was abused, and then you prevent them from abusing down the road. So every opportunity we have- Or being victims have, of abuse again, victim, exactly, right? Or being victims themselves again, absolutely. Yep. So every time you are afforded the opportunity of intervening, um, it's it's just it's a literal generational return on your investment of time and money. Yeah, um, and it filters out, you know, in in our community. You know, back to what absolutely. we were saying that safe, you know, that safe child, safe child serves Wake County. However, the programs in and of themselves have a trickle down effect throughout our communities beyond us. Because again, the people who are here getting these services aren't going right. to live here forever. And the hope is that they'll move on and they'll pass these messages on to other people. And so this is going to impact us directly, even right. if it's not directly happening to you. Absolutely, and. There are, like I said, the, the, the studies are, are well-established enough now. This, this is happening in our world. It is, it is happening in your neighborhood. And when we get an opportunity, we, we get asked a lot of time, well, what is the answer? As if there is a single answer that's yeah. just out there. No, there are 17, and you have to make yourselves aware of and involved with all of them. Let's mm-hmm. educate children and empower them with the language to express what's happening to them so that this doesn't happen in secret and in perpetuity, um, which let's we do an amazing job. Exactly. Yep, let's educate. All. So like we are sitting here saying that we have these upstream programs and many of the programs that Safe Child offers to in the community with, you know, free of charge most of the time yes. is an upstream educational movement that we've right. got. Now we do also have programs, right, that are the reactive ones that are based on other things. But as James was just saying, like there are multiple different avenues that we can be using. And so James was just speaking about a program, Funny Tummy Feelings, that Safe Child offers, um, which is second graders, right? In our first or second graders. But it is targeted at school age and elementary Mm -hmm. school children to empower them to know what is appropriate and inappropriate and to give them avenues to express uh, what is happening Mm -hmm. to them. 
Like you said, um, so we stop being in such a secret. I mean, secrets just breed shame. We we talk exactly. about this all the time on this podcast, right? right? And it's just it, like it's not stopping anything. Right. It's not going away. And that is that is something that particularly as uh, I will politely call myself a middle-aged uh, dude. Um, <laughs> my generation and older is really bad about talking about our feelings and these things. And it was one of the reasons when you asked me to be on the podcast, I said yes immediately um, because my peers and I have traditionally been really bad at this. Mm-hmm. And waiting for the next generation to fix it is also not a great solution. So becoming an active participant in the solution, um, even if I'm still bad at it, and even if I'm still learning <laughs> to be better at expressing these things, it, we just have to start doing it. You got to start um, somewhere. And that is, you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned my, uh, my enjoyment of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, maintaining that beginner mindset, maintaining that, I'm okay being really bad at something, Mm -hmm. but I'm doing it. And in the process of doing it, you get better at it. Mm -hmm. So many, it was within me for a long time that by this point in my life, and I don't know exactly what that point was, or it was 25, 30, 35. But at some point we think we are supposed to be professionals and know everything and experts at everything. And that we are supposed to wake up with a smile on our face and go about our day with no problems. And everything is supposed to go perfect. Because we have reached the point where everything is easy to us. I don't know and who fed the, us that bullshit, but exactly, and, it's bullshit. And it, it is exactly. It, it, that's not reality. Yeah. yeah, and it was getting involved in a sport where I had no expectations and no pressure on me. Um, I was the forty-two-year-old beginner <laughs> I love in, a room, that. in a room full of young high school wrestlers and murderers that um <laughs> like oh who's the old dude who's just trying not to die mm-hmm. um and you're like hey that's kind of fun it's kind of fun having no expectations and being the beginner yeah um and i i feel i still feel that way about safe child it, it, just talking about it um i hear the professionals and i hear Kristen, um our, and Kristen is our executive director who i'm sure will listen to this at some point so hi Kristen. hi Kristen. Um, we love you Bow down to you. I hear the way that they talk, and I'm just in awe. Mm. And then I remind myself that they are also highly trained, highly skilled, highly educated professionals this who done this for a living. Yeah, they immerse themselves in this. And I'm a volunteer who's been doing it for a few years. Yeah. There's a real big difference between those. But it, it was it was one of the reasons I was excited to come on the podcast and talk about what Safe Child does. And one of the few things I can do as a non-trained, non-professional is just talk about this. Talk mm-hmm. about the reality of what happens in our community, in our world, yeah. and tell people that there are places where it can be better. Um, and if you're a parent listening to this, if you're, if you're a mother struggling with um, postpartum depression, or if you're a mother struggling with with too much to do, or you're a father who doesn't know how to discipline a child without using physical uh, tools, Safe Child literally has tools to address all mm-hmm. of those different people. Mm-hmm. Um so it is it is and and to to back up for a second, my wife and I, Beth and I do not have children of our own, so i I will not and 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 make it a, a specific point of not talking about parenting very often because I'm not one, so I will leave that to all of the the hey, actual okay. professionals out there. Um, I'm not a parent either, and that doesn't mean I don't work well with kids, so <laughs> exactly. I totally feel that exactly, but it does it does make me and, and you are a professional as well i'm I'm not, so I am hyper aware of not saying this is the way this should happen with kids because i don't know i've never been in that position um <laughs> i hear uh parenting is challenging um i hear Ooh, that know. there are <laughs> um, i hear that kids don't come with books um there's not a there's not a manual there are so, so many manuals in quotes right of right. like how to be a good parent how to be positive parenting uh, exactly and, yeah it's hard and a morass of information is no better than no information yeah. it's just uh, if you're just drowning in in, in information and you can't tell the difference between the um, we talked about it in science a lot the signal to the noise if you can't pick out the signal amongst all of the noise then there may as well be yeah. no signal so yeah. that is one of the one of the things I love about safe child is the multiple different mechanisms starting with the children working its way up through the parents the mothers the fathers and then um, into the community and then into the community yeah. a, 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 as a whole they just yeah. do amazing uh, amazing work. I am eternally grateful that there are professionals like uh, our entire staff who do the 
brutally difficult work mm-hmm. on the ground and the trenches day to day to deal with people who are not having a great stretch, <laughs> to yeah. say the very least. Yeah, or that are somehow, like you said, struggling with adversity in a way that has led them to Safe Child. Like coming to Safe Child right. is not pe- something people look forward to doing. Right. And that's unfortunate in that we want it to be, like you said, more upstream, more proactive. Right now, many right. of the programs are reactive due to the nature of our systems. Right. You know, so Safe Child, for those of you who are not familiar, is a child advocacy center, which means that we are the ones who complete and provide the forensic interviews for children who have alleged any right. form of abuse in our community as well as neglect. And then we also provide the intervention services. So for parents who are overcoming domestic violence, for we have a men's program, so men who are learning how not to use violence in relationships. And then as you know, we also offer Spanish speaking programs to our right. community as well. And we're just constantly expanding through the school systems. And it's really, really cool. So we'll make sure that we link Safe Child's website to this episode in case you guys want to check it out. And as always, you know, want to get involved. There's volunteer opportunities. There's young ambassadors for those of us who are young adult age and just aren't ready to take the next step for something else. So please check us out. James, what has this been like for you? So as you said, someone who doesn't, didn't have the opportunity or chose not to have kids and then got involved with this agency through your wife, as well as just being involved in the community. What has this experience been like for you to like you said, open yourself up to talking about your feelings and learning about the traumas that impact our community. Right. It's it's been amazing. Um, When I recruit new board members, one of the things that I tell them is I start the pitch with what you can do for Safe Child. For instance, we need this particular accounting skill set for the next few years. Um, You have this particular accounting skill set. We could really use that. We We would be honored if you would join us. But also, if you do join us, let me tell you what you're going to get out of it. And it's a lot more than you put in. Just mm-hmm. because you're in a room from with people uh, of wildly varying backgrounds from different parts of uh, the country who share your desire to make a change and share your desire uh, to to speak frankly and and honestly about this uh, topic that a lot of people just don't want to talk about. Yeah, you don't so, rarely see people run into a room, right? And they're like, let's talk about child abuse. Exactly. Yeah. And seeing the people, um, whether it is current or previous board members who talk about their own abuse and the mm-hmm. things that they have overcome and how very matter-of-factly they talk about it, um, whether it is seeing any of our uh, program um, recipients talking about the help that they got at Safe Child, just hearing people who have been in a very unpleasant place deal with it and how they have not only survived it, but are now thriving uh, because they have, have, I don't want to use the word overcome. Um, they have learned to live with that thing that has happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um and like just hearing people talk about that has been incredibly informative and incredibly moving on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, we there are it certainly doesn't happen every time, but on a, it, it's not rare for there to be um, some some dust in the meetings uh, um, <laughs> when we talk very frankly about these things. So yeah. it, it's been an incredibly humbling experience for me. It's been an incredibly empowering experience for me, um, and just something that I am um, absolutely honored to be a part of um, and happy to to still a little bit nervous that they made me president because I still (laughs) you're doing great the imposter syndrome uh, and the the, the old scientist imposter syndrome dies hard yeah Um, but well it's scary I mean Safe Child is one of our it's shocking when we say like Safe Child is one of the most well-known nonprofits in the community and then yet we still find people that don't know it exists but I think Safe Child has such a name for it and such a reputation so I can imagine the pressure that it is to represent it as the board president luckily Luckily, I have um, a number of phenomenal mentors, including yes. one that I live with, um, who I <laughs> joked that they were they were recruiting me to the board to to put up with me in order to to get half of Beth's attention again. Yes, um, which I would totally do. I would I would, I would do that <laughs> if I were there. Um, but not only not only Beth, but we have it's a phenomenal community of uh, past board presidents and past board members who are willing to share their. Uh, knowledge and who are willing to assist to see the mission through. It mm-hmm. is not like 
you come in for one year, you work in a vacuum and don't communicate with the people before or after you, and then you turn, you hand the baton over and someone else. That has not been at all my experience. Yeah. I came onto the board and we had a phenomenal uh, board president who um, was unfortunately poached away to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still room back for you in Please North Carolina, come back. Matt. Please, Matt. Um, we miss you. So Matt was an incredible president, and then Marisa Bryant agreed to mentor me because um, I told her, I was like, I'm more than willing to do this, but I also have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please help. Please and help. she uh, very graciously gave of her time. Um, and I am um, attempting to do that with uh, the people who I bring onto the board as well so that this this knowledge base stays in intact and we're, yeah. and we're not asking people to reinvent the wheel every year. Um, just because there's, there is enough work to be done, enough funds to be raised at Safe Child that we don't need to be, we don't need to be recreating anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I have, I've made it a point to try to make it as seamless of a transition as is possible and try to provide our board with whatever resources, uh, it needs. Um, and the mentors that we have from Beth to, um, so many others I, I I'll, I'll stop naming them because we could we could spend the next half hour <laughs> just naming incredible people who have have assisted in the board development awesome you know you were mentioning james before we started recording and just as you know over the many many times that we've talked about safe child that this has also been an experience for you because you've experienced you know some traumas in your life that maybe you hadn't thought about in that way right. until you were exposed to the language and the education and the learning that safe child provided would you be willing to share some of that here? Yeah, absolutely. So, not only growing up with it, 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 it has happened to me relatively uh, recently. Um, I had Hodgkin's disease as a child. So, my freshman year in high school basically didn't exist. I was mm-hmm. taken out of school. Um, I had multiple surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation. So, I had a very atypical childhood experience. Mm-hmm. Um I wasn't picked on. I wasn't bullied because I was the sick kid. Um, and even in the middle of nowhere, South Georgia in the eighties, um, that was like just a rail. I was like a, a, a fourth rail. Like, no, you can't pick on the sick kid cause he's mm. probably going to die. Um, <laughs> and we'll feel too bad about that. Yeah, so like, you don't you do can't that. pick on that dude. Right. Yeah. So, but it also meant I, I, I didn't feel included in a lot of things. And I, 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 I was one of one in high school. Um, and it's not like you can go to in, in the in the 80s in particular it wasn't like you could go to the 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 support group for high school students who are dealing with advanced <laughs> childhood cancers yeah it's not um, like today where we do have many of those support groups yeah and again a, a significantly pre-internet era so it was i didn't know the world existed outside of south georgia mm-hmm. um so that was that was my first sort of like whoa what is happening to me um experience that happened to me as not not truly a child. I was an adolescent um, it, from 14 to 17. Mm-hmm. Um, it went on. I eventually had a bone marrow transplant, missed another year of high school, wow. um, a lot of radiation, which will come into play a little bit later on. But this thing happened, and I was just like, whoa. But I was also a child, and children don't understand death we don't look at the world this i was going to survive i always knew i was going to survive even though i didn't have great odds like it was 50 50 ish um i didn't quite wrap my head around that at the time it was several years later before i really realized like oh i really could have things could have really gone things could have played out real different Mm -hmm. um so as a child i didn't i didn't really grasp what was going on? Uh, mm-hmm. I recovered. That well, that was also the the basis of my interest in genetics. Um, I really, really wanted to understand how cancer worked and what had happened to me and why this was happening not only to me but to millions of people on a daily basis all over the country. Was there anything we could do? So mm-hmm. that was the genesis of me getting into okay molecular biology genetics Which is so and doing fascinating. research. You're like I missed basically two years of high school. Yeah, and then went on. I mean, that's so amazing. So I got to the University of Georgia, and there, this was the. Uh, I got to the University of Georgia in 1993, um, the beginning, middle of the genomics genetics revolution, um, where we were sequencing everything as fast as you possibly could, and learning all this incredible stuff about genetics. And I absolutely loved it. Um, 
loved it so much that I decided to go to graduate school without <laughs> really having a clear idea of what graduate school no. was we never or do. meant. Never do. Um, I think I think they do that on purpose because if yes. people went into it with with uh, with a clear wide mind. eyes and open no. heart, there'd be far fewer. Nope. Yep. Be far fewer of of them. Um, and I I loved being in graduate school. It was just so much fun to learn at that pace and to be surrounded by absolute brilliance on mm -hmm. a daily basis um most of us at some point we realize we're average and for me it was i aspired to be average when you, when you walked into a an advanced genetics classroom at duke and you just look around you're like wait who's the average one here i'm like oh it's it's, it's me. not, it's Hi, not it's me, me. I'm, bring, I'm bringing up the back end like i'm not even <laughs> average here like these, these guys oh, are I'm brilliant like, like i'm 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 the curve breaker on the other end of the curve here um <laughs> But that was, again, that was what I loved about my time there. Was I was surrounded by brilliant, passionate people who were so good at what they did and do. And I thought it was normal to just meet half a dozen Nobel laureates in any given year because they're all passing through Duke and giving these incredible lectures. Mm -hmm. And you're meeting the, the dude who discovered this and won a Nobel Prize. And a few years later, you meet the guy that he trained who also won a Nobel Prize. And then you recruit a Nobel Prize. And I didn't realize, I didn't appreciate it until years later that that's not normal. Yeah. Um, it's atypical. And I, I absolutely loved it. Um, but the, the, to bring it back full circle, where, where I started having to deal with this type of trauma as an adult um, was almost exactly a year ago. And this is how I became markedly more familiar with your podcast. Mm. Um, December fifth of last year so not quite exactly one year ago um hey it might when are we going to post this yeah <laughs> we actually might put <laughs> by it out the time, by on the time your it day appears, yeah. it comes out. yeah um we're recording not quite exactly a year and out but yeah um i woke up one morning and felt perfectly fine i went to the gym i trained jujitsu for 90 minutes i went to work everything was perfectly fine felt great yeah. um hadn't had no problems whatsoever um stood up to walk across my living room floor and i got halfway across the floor um and i grabbed the wall because i thought i was about to pass out and i just all of a sudden could not breathe mm. um literally in one breath everything went from perfectly fine to not at all yeah. fine yeah. um and when i tell the story people freak out and like oh my god that sounds terrifying and i'm like then i'm describing it exactly accurately. how it was yeah 100 <laughs> there was no build-up like it literally in an instant like your life can literally change in a single beat of a heart mm -hmm. um and that was what happened and beth looked up from the couch and she's like is everything okay and i just said i either shook my head or just said no no it, it's not at all um and she stood up and she's like do you want me to take you to the emergency room um, and I said, yeah, yeah, I, I think I kind of do. Hello. Um, yeah. And she was like, that was not the answer I was expecting. And I was just like, I. Did you know? I can't. Like I, you, you knew. You know. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. if you're, whether you're, whether you're swimming or whatever, like if you can't breathe, it induces panic. Yes. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of systems in place in your body to incite you to action when you stop breathing. Um, and I was, I was having a very difficult time breathing. So we have dear friends um, who are ER physicians, and we reached out to them. Um, one of them happened to be working that evening. We went and visited uh, their ER, and they met me in the hot in the, what in the if, parking lot. What kind lot. of friends to have, right? Like, hey, you working? Exactly. Having um, trouble breathing. Exactly. Um, and I was tr on the way there. I literally tried to start talking Beth out of needing to go. I was like, I'm fine. Everything's better. Like I started trying to <laughs> rationalize. Like, so I'm going through like the five stages and warp speed. Like <laughs> I'm I fine. Start, everything's fine. You just start rationalizing. Like, oh no, everything's fine. Like she's like, sweetheart, you can't breathe. I'm like, sure I can. <laughs> <laughs> I can breathe. It's fine. Like, no, no, no. I, I can still hear you. That is not, that's not normal. Um, that like somehow going to the ER has been beaten into us that that's so bad. Yeah. Like, supposed so, to go. I, I, I'll, I'll cut this short because it could go on forever. Um, I was miraculously not having a heart attack um, over the course of the next 12 hours in the ER. We did every test um, I think you can do to uh, a heart. It was revealed that I had um, a valvular failure and that I was in, I was in congestive heart failure. So 
not the diagnosis I was expecting. I was no. assuming I was having a heart attack and we got, I was like, so they're like, no, you're actually going to need a new valve. Um, and I was like, that sounds more involved than like changing the tires on a car. Like this, this that sounds like a thing. And they're like, yeah, we have some, some, we're, we're going to admit you and you're going to be here for a while. It's like, but it's December. I have too much work to do. And they were just like, yeah, you, you no. don't have any, your, your calendar's clear, whether mm-hmm. you know it or not. Yeah. Um, a couple of days later, they do some more tests, find out that I also um, had multiple very severe um, coronary artery blockages. So in addition to the valvular surgery, I needed five bypasses. Um, I remember hearing this. I remember sitting in my office being right. told from a <laughs> you know friend and previous guests on this podcast of like did you hear what happened to james and i was like no why would i've heard what's happening to james right. they're like he literally had to have like what is that a quadruples four so what's five quintuple quintuple yeah. bypass and, and had a, a, valve a valve replacement i was like i'm sorry what did you say i would i mean that, that was my response too because i was like i was like i was working out this morning and everything was fine 90 minutes um, of jujitsu feeling like, fine yeah that's pretty crazy that doesn't normally happen in it Ultimately, it ended up being related to um, the radiation that I had had 30 years before. No um, radiation does have a lot to do, particularly where I receive the radiation in my chest, does have a lot to do with creating those. Um, so it was a, a, a literal bomb going off um, in your world mm-hmm. where you're making these plans for this year, this month, next month. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then it just comes to the most screeching halt yeah. possible. Um, that week between diagnosis and surgery was one of the most amazing weeks of my life. Mm. Um, it was extremely difficult, but also like like a lot of um, very difficult things was also just one of the most rewarding. Mm. And like I, I said goodbye to a lot of people, mm. um, not entirely saying goodbye but like if you thought you had one week who would you call yeah. um and the answer is everybody like i, I was on the phone all day, <laughs> all day. you're like oh i got sarah Susie. Yeah, who else like, am i calling you know, I, was, I i had conversations with people from high school that mm-hmm. i hadn't heard from in 30 years i had conversations with people from college and it was in an era where there's so much superficial communication mm-hmm. these were i mean these were real real like like these were real con like this was it was certainly the most concentrated yeah yeah that's and the fair. most honest you are with a lot of people um so that happened and the surgery took place and the surgery was a smashing success clearly you're everything here. went great <laughs> you begin the physical recovery of being hit by a bus yeah um it wasn't very painful like i I was never in a tremendous amount of pain Mm -hmm. um but they wake you up and you're like is everything okay like Mm -hmm. what where am i you're you're attached to every tube in the world every machine in the hospital is talking to you Mm -hmm. um and then literally four days later they sent me home and i was like i don't think i'm ready to go like four days is real fast my heart was open on a table on tuesday and on saturday morning they're like you're good go home um, that's wild. And it's funny you say that because that's actually how, like, that's a good transition to how I ended up listening to your yeah. podcast. Um, the physical manifestations of cutting your sternum open like a clamshell and then stopping the heart for multiple hours and then restarting it and then having to stop it again. Like, I, the I physical can't. part yeah. of that, the physical part of that's easy. Yeah. The mental and emotional part of that has taken a lot longer and is still a work in progress. Um, my brother is a clinical pharmacist and he was extremely uh, instrumental in trying to prepare me for what happens on the backside of that medical trauma. Mm. He's like, man, you're going to be fine with the physical part of it because you're as stubborn as hell. And <laughs> you'll recover. You're, just like, you'll just yeah. bang your head against the wall until it's gone. And that, that'll yeah. be fun. That's going to be the easy part what you're there is just no way to prepare for the mental and emotional turmoil that comes from realizing that your heart stopped for a day and 
you say it out loud and it just doesn't, none of it seems real. Mm -hmm. Like I, you literally start like gaslighting yourself. Did that actually happen? Like you're can that can't happen. Ha yeah, that, that can't, can't happen. happen. Like that didn't really happen. Right. We didn't really like none of that's None of that's real. So you really start. I have like chills talking about it. Like I, I like can't reality. even picture like, that. Yeah. What happened? So I started listening to your podcast in January, February, March, my brother and my wife, if I do get emotional on a podcast, it'll be talking about the two of them. Mm. Um, I leaned on them so heavily that I knew I couldn't lean on them anymore. Like I can't ask any more of these two people. I have to find another outlet. And your podcast was that other outlet. Mm. I could listen whenever I wanted to for as long as I wanted to or as short as I wanted to. And while no one was talking about exactly what I was going through, I realized it didn't matter. Yeah. They were going through something. And what happened to me was no different than what happens to the children at Safe Child. It's no different than what happens to the victims of violent crime. It's no different. Like, trauma is trauma. Yeah. And when you're dealing with profound trauma, all of the mechanisms that we use are the mechanisms that we use. Yeah. And I started rereading all of the stuff that we had received through Safe Child. And I started reading it from exactly the opposite. I wasn't reading it as an advocate anymore. I was reading it as a patient mm -hmm. who needed this. And just listening to other people go through things um, was a phenomenal, phenomenal tool. And I could access that without demanding time of yours without demanding any more time of my wife and my brother um, or my business partners who were having to move a business, mm -hmm. which is a terrible, terrible idea. Like <laughs> moving sucks. Moving a business sucks even worse. Moving a business where your inventory is controlled by the state and then also doing that while you're physically down a human for three months. Mm -hmm. Like, I just couldn't ask any more of those people in my life. Yeah. So having your podcast to listen to, like having another resource where I could just sit mm -hmm. on the porch in the sunlight and like. It was like free we're therapy. Gonna, we're going to get through today. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen next week. Yeah. I'm not any, I'm not concerned about next week. I am. I'm trying to get to lunch. Let's just get to lunch. And once we get to lunch, then you can reassess. Yeah. And so you're, you're, for me, my time frames really shrunk, mm -hmm. um, and I really focused on moments. Like, just I need to be here. I need to be here in this moment now. Mm -hmm. I don't. I can't change what has happened. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow um, or the next day, but I can do the best I can today. Mm -hmm. And I really like you. Just go day to day, mm -hmm. and. In talking to the doctors and in talking to people, I told them I was having a really hard time mentally grap grappling with this. And they just said that it was not uncommon um, for people in my, because I was in relatively good shape. And this caught me such a blind side mm -hmm. that they were less concerned about the physical components of it than the mental and emotional. Like if you felt like Shit. crap yeah. for years and just could barely walk up the stairs and all of a sudden you had to have the surgery. Well, yeah, yeah it felt terrible for years. And this now, is, I this feel now, better. now I feel better. Yeah. I didn't have that. I felt great. I felt perfectly fine. And then I didn't. And five days later, I'm like having goodbye phone calls with lifelong, lifelong for like, that's, that was the hard part of well, our brains just I can't compute, with. right? As someone no, like you all. said, who's used to studying like math and science and biology and you know, they don't teach you about this. Yeah. There is no like your yeah your your brain you're absolutely right you're you're just not wired no we're not to deal with what what happens if your heart stops for a day like that's just it's, it's bizarre well, well, what are we taught you you die right. and so right. then you're like what does that mean that was I dead for a day and you're like no your brain was functioning but then, then it's like but was it like I don't to lighten it to lighten it up a little bit I've al I've also been a lifelong sports fan. Um, <laughs> And I was an undergraduate at the University of Georgia, and Georgia was always Charlie Brown trying to kick the ball. They're never going to win. They're gonna... <laughs> and then, like, I, my, I had friends texting me like, when Georgia was in the national championship game. They're like, "Oh my God, are you okay to watch this? Like, yeah, you will have, your heart die? <laughs> you have a rebuilt heart. Are you okay to even watch this game tonight? And like, trust me, I'll be fine. I'm not. Like, I live in North Carolina. Cool. Everything was Cardiac fine. Pack. I was perfectly fine. 
watch the game. But then when Georgia actually does what Georgia never does, which is win the game. That's wild. I literally started questioning, like, did I die? Like, am I dead? I, yeah, am I in this weird in version of heaven? reality yeah. where, like, no, 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 the Braves won the World Series and Georgia wins the national championship and your heart was down for a day and everything's fine. like, you're just dead. You're just I, dead. I think this is just the universe screwing. Like, I don't think any, like, is any <laughs> of this am I real? real? Pitch myself. And then you're like, so it, it I, I'm, I'm laughing, but that is no, I not think that's entirely, super reasonable. not entirely a joke. Like, no. you start just questioning, like, what? happened well just like how where are we like what yeah. is go- like what is going on yeah. like what is even real what is even real anymore well like you said it c- causes you to reevaluate your life because again you technically your heart stopped beating yeah and then you're like okay and then i got to keep living yeah. i have got to change my life things are and like i i thought i was doing pretty well i yeah. thought i was doing okay and like i i have been fortunate um that i have i have the my recovery was um, very successful. The rehab has gone amazingly well. I have been able to start doing um, martial arts again, Yay. which has been a phenomenal uh, mental health boom. Yes. Um, it is half as expensive and twice as available as um, professional therapy. It's not exactly the same thing, of course, okay. but um, it is a way to to be in a place now. It's a good supplement. Absolutely. Like it is, I, I, you, know, you start thinking about time very differently, too. You cannot worry about work. You cannot worry about your family stressors. You can't. You cannot worry about the holiday season when you're literally in the middle of a fight. There's another person standing directly in front of you, and they are trying to end you. And that puts you in a very clear frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And it is like the, the clarity that you get from spending one hour where your phone doesn't exist, where your email inbox doesn't exist, where turmoil in the world, war in Europe, virus, like you're just in this one place. Like there's no COVID, there's no anything. This is the thing that I am dealing with for one hour. And the physical benefits are cool, but the mental and emotional benefits that you get from that are it's very intentional grounding. Second yeah. to none. And yeah. I like it, it I you know, you asked me if there was a particular phrase that I enjoyed and it, mm-hmm. it's it is be here now, um, particularly with as you know. I, this feels like the old man telling the kids <laughs> to get off his lawn and shaking his fist at the at the at the sun going down. Um, we're so attached to our phones and our devices and our things that just spending an hour being in the presence of other humans and communicating with them in real time is a rare mm-hmm. thing these days. It's just rare. Um, so having the opportunity to be in one place with other people and, and, and to have like a real time where they're, they're not checking their phone. You don't hear the phone go off seven times. You don't hear four email dings. You don't hear a Facebook notification or a TikTok note or whatever, what, whatever the last 17 iterations are of <laughs> the same attention thing. thieves, yes. um, that, that are constantly vying for our time and attention, um, has been, has been phenomenal. So that is that is kind of how I bring all of this full circle. We started talking about air hockey and jujitsu, um, and brought it into safe child and my own personal trauma, and then it kind of ends where it begins, right? Which is doing physical activity with a bunch of other nerds that have the same joy and passion for doing it that you do, um, with no expectation. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna win pans. Like I'm not gonna win the world championship. I'm not I'm just not. It's not gonna happen. But that's not the point. Like getting to that point isn't the point. It's the process mm-hmm. that is that is so much fun. So yeah, well, I've been talking entirely too long. So no, I, this I is exactly. It. They don't come to this podcast <laughs> to hear me talk. I promise. You know, it makes me think about as you were saying. You know, Safe Child is an agency that was born from necessity, right? And the requirement for us to finally address the truths of our society, no matter how ugly they are. Right. And it sounds like for you, you had been living your life, not like under the guise that you had never experienced trauma, but it sounds like you had been able to put what had happened to you with your illness right. as a child, sort of like in a box. And it was kept away because you were doing very well and life was going very well. And then you have a severe medical trauma as what you believed was a healthy adult. Right. And you're working for this agency that helps people realize like, hey, this doesn't just happen to like a certain sect of people. This trauma is happening everywhere and it it can impact you no matter what and who you are. So let's make sure you have the tools and resources to deal with it. Absolutely. 
And it sounds like you were, you know, if this had to have happened, it sounds like you might be grateful that you were surrounded by the people you were when it happened. Absolutely. And that was, you know, when I, when I make that pitch to new board members and to people who I, I, I am asking something of for safe child, I, we obviously need something from them, whether it's a financial donation or a donation of time. But I also point out to them what they are going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just me. Other board members will tell you the same thing. Um, Particularly, we have had more than a few board members who had suffered uh, childhood abuse. Mm -hmm. And they will tell you repeatedly um, that being a board member for Safe Child really has given them power over this Mm -hmm. thing that happened to them and has given, has aided in their own recovery and becoming an advocate for that. So it it is very, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish adolescent cancer or heart surgery on anyone, but it is also who I am. Like it's me. It's Mm -hmm. I, 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 I wouldn't necessarily take it away because I have, I'm incredibly lucky, um, happily married, small business owner. Like I have a great, great life. So I wouldn't, you know, to get into a whole philosophical sliding doors type thing. Like you take that away, you take away that adolescent cancer. Maybe I, maybe things go completely different and I just turn into a, a really horrible person for what, like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't I, go to Duke. I don't, I don't do any of these things. Yeah. I, maybe yeah. I don't get into genetics and then I don't like way leads on to way and you don't end up where mm-hmm. I ended up. So I, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but mm-hmm. now that it's happened, um, you, you're, you're, you know, the only way, the only way through is forward. Uh, there is no, there's no do over. There's no backing up. There's no, Oh, let's, let's not have that happen. Um, the only way through is, is, is forward, but that doesn't mean, and I'm particularly talking to my middle-aged male colleagues. Um, the only way for the only way through is forward. Doesn't mean we just bury our heads and put on blinders and put on headphones and pay no attention to anything going around and just bulldoze forward. Right. Um, it means that you deal with what's going on and, and have honest and real conversations about what's going on. Yeah. Um, and whether those honest and real conversations about are, do I want to still be a member of this church? Do I want to live in this community? Do I want to do that? Like, wh- what am I doing? Where am I going? What am, what, what's happening? And, it's it's not easy having those conversations all the time, but it's also not easy not having them. No, yeah. <laughs> you just have to pick when you want the not easy. Do you want to deal with it on your terms or do you want to be blindsided by it yeah. when the world decides it's time to blindside you with it? At what cost? Right. right. At right. Who, and at whose cost, right? At whose. At us right. ignoring it doesn't yeah. mean it's not happening. Yeah. And... You know, whether it's we, my wife is a lawyer and we talk about this with, with family members who are writing wills and things like, oh, I don't want to think about this. Like, yeah, it's not easy to think about, but someone is going to have to think about this at yeah, some point. Because you like, will die. It is yeah, 100%. Like, everyone's <laughs> death spares father no one. Time, father time is undefeated. Correct. Like, it's going to happen. Like, you're going, this conversation is going to be had. Do you want to be a part of it or do you just want to let the chips fall where they may? And while, while people are going through the incredible trauma of dealing with immediate loss. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, you, you either deal with it on your terms or you have it forced upon you. But um, opting out is not an option. Yeah, so. I 100% agree with that. Opting out should no longer be an option. Right. Yes. It brings me, I've been sitting over here as we've been talking and I, some part of me sometimes wishes there could be visual aspects to podcasts, but I have been like nonstop getting chills while we're talking. Um, And I really appreciate that you, James, saying that like this podcast was helpful for you. It's the only reason we began it was Mm -hmm. out of the joy that it gets me that for the the job I do every day is I get to hear people's stories. And then I started realizing that I'm surrounded by people who have these stories that should get to share them and we should hold space for that. And so I'm really grateful to hear that you felt like that was helpful. It was incredibly helpful. And it it is one of the things, um, another thing that, that grumpy old men are from time immemorial have always said, Oh, this generation, like, I mean, that, that bullshit dates back to like Aristotle (laughs) talking about how spoiled and, lazy the next generation like that is just like one of the tiredest 
most hackneyed truism. Things weren't better when I was a kid. They weren't better. They were different. Mm -hmm. They weren't better. They were just different. And one of the things, one of the other things I have gotten from Safe Child is the opportunity to learn from you and from the other young ambassadors and from other people who I would not necessarily randomly hang out mm -hmm. with. I'm a huge music fan too. There's a young artist uh, named Morgan Wade who sing like her merch is literally just says not okay. And she wrote a song about her own mental health and released it. And millions of listens and views later, she's like, Oh my God, people are actually willing to listen to me basically do self therapy. Yes. Yeah, share my story and share my story. And yeah. it's one of the things that gives me a tremendous amount of hope is that the generations younger than me are so much better at this than my colleagues were and yeah. are like it's okay to i mean her her album is literally not okay like just i'm not okay like it's i i'm not okay today like i'm not having a good day I mean, yeah. things are not great and so you know the title of your podcast like how are you how are things going well you know they've been better oh wow okay that, that that's a perfectly acceptable answer yeah. You don't need to say, oh, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. Oh, some, if they are great, if you're having a great day out there, wonderful. Yes, Congratulations. Please say that. Yeah. Please say that. But you can't, like, everyone has times and has days that aren't great. And we have to give ourselves the time and the space to just be like, you know what? I will be better. I, I'll, I'll be better. But like today's just, I'm just trying to get through today. Like, I'm just, um, yeah. That's okay. I'm being authentic and honest yeah. about what my experience is. Yeah. You know, as a clinician, it's something I very intentionally practice is that, you know, it's very common, right? You, the pleasantries, you go into a right. store, you go somewhere, Hey, how are you? How, how's it going? You know, as a, and as a clinician, I'm sure I, hopefully everyone on this podcast and everyone who listens probably goes to the doctor at least once like in their life and you'll walk in the doctor <laughs> will be like, Hey, like, how are you? I think, what a stupid question. Right. Right. Now, if I'm there for an annual physical, I can probably be pretty good. Right. right. If I'm there for not an annual physical, there's probably a reason that I'm coming to see you and it's probably not a good one. Right. Right. Now it could be, it could be pregnant. There could be some other life things that you're like really excited about. And so what, what I've changed and when I see my clients, you know, I either log onto a screen or I see them in person. I'm like, Hey, you know, it's good to see you. How's your morning been? Like I changed this language around because it actually gives people the freedom to answer very honestly, right. because we're so conditioned to answer the, Hey, how's it going? How you been right. with, I'm fine. Right. I'm good. And that, that language you mentioned controlling the language. That is something that has been overlooked and misunderstood for a very, very long time. Uh, another one of the books that really changed the way I communicate with the world and listen to the world um, was also given to me um, by our executive director. Uh, I was waiting Andre. for you to bring up this book. Um, and it's what happened to you. Mm -hmm. Not what's wrong with you. What's wrong with you is so... It, it puts everyone in a place like why is some, it's something what's well, blaming it is yeah. it and it the people who generally ask that aren't bad people they just don't know that there's a better way right and when you know better do better yep like i'm not i'm not going to hold myself to my to standards of 30 years ago because i didn't know then like yeah. well i do now so now that you know fix it when you know better do better right um and that that book um a phenomenally well-written book that interweaves science and human yeah, stories social aspects. Mm -hmm. was like what happened to you like tell me what happened well because there's a function and a purpose to every behavior we have and so if you look at it through a different lens right not what's right. wrong with you it's what happened to you to get you to behave this way and thinking that right. that's the best option for you right and so listening to this incredibly brilliant um clinician whose name is escaping me um, oh, Dr. Bruce Perry. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. Um, listening to him write and this, this well-researched, brilliantly uh, studied way about how systems and how instances create trauma, mm -hmm. whether they are war or abuse or what have you, and then the human responses to those traumas are relatively predictable. Mm -hmm. Like we know the body has limits and it will shut down and how you deal with that when someone has been pushed to that limit 
and then not focusing on their behavior, but going upstream of that and being like, okay, let's back up a little bit. Let's try to fix the, let's, let's try to address the cause of this. Like, mm -hmm. I can't undo the things that have happened to you, but we can learn new behaviors so that you don't have the same unhealthy responses moving forward. Right. And that was, that was also incredibly helpful over the course of the last year. Um, and I, I, again, you ask what I got to say. I've already mentioned two incredible books that I, I, so I feel like I'm getting more out of being a volunteer than I, than I am possibly giving. So, Hey, but I mean, I think that's what the premise is, right? Safe child mm -hmm. is to stop abuse for every child. And then you're here to say that trauma impacts us all. And what you're getting out of being a part of this organization, again, trickles out and so ripples out in so many inconceivable ways that you would have never thought about. Right. And James, you've already shared your view and your this phrase that you choose to live by right now, which is be here now. And I mm -hmm. love that so much. And I'm so grateful that you were able to be here now today. Absolutely. And that you're back being physical and I see right. you moving about all the time and you're always so busy. So I'm so grateful that we got to see you today. We'll make sure to link on the website to this podcast. We're going to link the books. We're going to share a little bit more about Raleigh Wine Shop. If you guys ever want to go out and find James or you want to visit the shop, it's incredible. We love partnering with them and we're just so grateful to have James. Is there anything else that you would like to share today? Um, just a heartfelt thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for literally creating this space and an opportunity for yeah. people to uh to talk um it is it, it, you know it, it's we spend so much time on our phones we spend so much time staring at screens particularly in the last three years when we were isolated so mm -hmm. profoundly um from one another so just like just being in a room with other humans and having a conversation um is is a gift and i i thank you for it I thank you for being so open and transparent and vulnerable and choosing to share this with me mm -hmm. and, you know, with Josh, of course, who gets to listen and all the other oh, people. Who? Who's here? Is there somebody else here? He's <laughs> As y'all, if y'all are familiar with our Podloff situation, Josh gets to get the first peek and he's creeping up behind this <laughs> wall over here. Um, but thank you, James, so much for just, again, like sharing this with people out into the world and again, reframing what your experiences have been in your life and owning what's happened to you in this way that yeah. you feel like you can talk about it. It is, it's been my pleasure. And again, thank you so very much for letting me talk about Safe Child and then also letting me talk about me for a little bit. So absolutely, thank absolutely. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and follow us on social media at I've Been Better dot pod.